All right, I invite you to continue these conversations outside in the lobby uh, after church over some donuts and some coffee. Hey, as I get started today, we're just going to take our offering um, real quick. So if you're new today, feel free to let that pass by. This is just one of the acts of worship we do as a, as a believing community. Um, so it's just going to pass through and you can just kind of pass that on um, when we get started. Most of you, if you have kids, um, I think uh, they've gone back to school this week. Is that correct? Right? All the parents are excited. All the kids are really bummed out. Uh, I'm a teacher. I, I, I teach, and so I've been back at school. We had kids come on Wednesday, um, and so it's fun to be back in the energy at all. And my job is to teach middle school boys how to interpret the Bible. Um, and I find that when I start out um, with them in seventh grade, there's a lot of unlearning that I have to do with them. Um, there's a lot of things that they've been taught that just simply aren't accurate. And so we, we, we take them back and I try to get them to understand that before they can, can make an application of what scripture means to them in their life, they should know what scripture meant at the time that it was written. And so we spend a lot of time um, asking the question, um, what in the text leads you to that conclusion? And it stumps them because they'll, they'll make some random statement that they've heard some pastor say at some point. And I'll say, well, what in the text leads you to that conclusion? And they just look at me like, and they have no idea. And so we spend a lot of time trying to get them to search the scripture for what scripture has to say. And we spend a lot of time unlearning all of these kind of pithy phrases that they've heard that they're just parroting back. Um, and instead get them to, to search for themselves. And that's the goal of this series for our church. We hope that through this time that we can help you understand that you have all the tools you need to search the scripture for yourself. And to come up with um, what God was saying, not only in that time, but after knowing what God was saying in that time, then applying it to our lives. Because the order matters. And if we understand what the scripture said um, when it was written, we can better understand what it could mean for us today. So today, you're going to start off like I would start off any of my middle school classes, and that's by talking to each other um, about a question. And the question is this. I want you to think about all of the random laws and regulations and things that, that, that pop out in Scripture that make you go, what? Like, wh what is that about? Things that, that you don't really want to study because you really don't want to know. You're embarrassed enough that it appeared in the Bible, much less um, wanting to talk about it. So maybe you know some of those things. If you don't know some of those, you don't have any of those um, on the top of your head, feel free to Google it. Um, and if you're more of a person that uh, wants to do Bibles, um, we're going to be passing those out because um, you'll need your Bible today. So if you don't have a Bible, um, and it'll be obvious, and Ryan will make sure that you do have one. He'll force you to have one. Um, just start in Leviticus, though. right? If you, need, if you need a guidance of where some weird rules and laws and regulations are, start in Leviticus. So I'm going to give you a couple minutes just to turn to the people next to you and talk about what are the weird and crazy rules and regulations that you remember from Scripture. All right, it sounds like a lot of you have, have been able to find some good, crazy... I do this with middle school boys, um, so you can imagine the type of verses that they're finding in Scripture. It gets, a, it gets a little out of hand. The reason why I had you do this uh, is because there's something about, specifically in, in the Old Testament, but there's also some, some of you found some in the New Testament that were kind of weird as well. Um, but it was written at a specific time for a specific purpose, and a lot of times it was maybe preservation or, or, or some way to, to handle some of the, the, the dealings with other nations that were there. And, and it's things that we don't have to do 
anymore. One, I don't know if any of you found this one, but there's one um, in Leviticus, I believe, where it says, if you have a rebellious son, take him outside the city gates and throw stones at him to kill him. And if we followed that now, we wouldn't have any kids. So um, there's, there's stuff that we have, we have changed, we have morphed, we have decided to do things a little bit different um, for various reasons. But it's important to understand that um, what were these, what were the purposes of these laws in these rituals and sometimes we can find that out sometimes we can find out just from scripture and sometimes we have to go man I don't know what they're thinking but I'm so glad we don't live that way now so you'll find that throughout scripture <clears throat> and it can be a little bit intimidating to try to discover why those rules were there but I think that if we if we really look we can understand what God was saying to those cultures just by what we're reading in scripture so if you're a note taker, um, <clears throat> this is where you'd want to start because I'm going to give you three things to look at uh, when, when it comes to interpreting scripture to help you understand what scripture meant originally before we understand what it could mean to us now. And if you're not a note taker, um, I'd encourage you to do so um, because there will be an assessment on this after the message. Um, this is, we are back at school and I'm a teacher. So, and I'm not joking, there actually will be. So you may want to take notes. Three things to help us understand what Scripture said originally. One is context. Number two is lenses or biases. And number three, Scripture. And I'll refer to all three of these again, so if, if you didn't get a chance to write all three of those down, I'll go through each three individually. So starting with context. Context. Context tells us to ask the W questions. Who, what, when, where, Why? Right? It talks about the setting, what we are trying to discover, what Scripture is saying about when and who and where, and all these things are happening. So take, for instance, Ryan's favorite verse, Jeremiah 29.11. I think we even have it up on the screen. Right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Right? If we look just at this verse, because it appears on a coffee mug or graduation cards or on the bumper sticker I just put on the back of Ryan's truck, um, we look at the context of this specific verse, and we find this. Who? Who is God talking about? Well, it's me and God. Sorry for you guys, but I'm the one who read the scripture, so it's me and God. Um, what? It's God's plan for me, specifically. When? Well, I guess right now, because that's when I'm reading it. Where? Restoration Church, Colorado? And why? Because I need encouragement that God's plan for me doesn't include me making a fool of myself right now in front of all of you. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. So I'm being intentionally facetious here, but I don't think it's that far off from what most people interpret this verse. They see this one tiny verse, and they interpret it for themselves at that specific time, right? That it's God's plan for me is not to harm me, but to prosper me, to give me a hope and a future. And that verse is saying that, just not in the way that we all like to think. Um, it's not as safe as we might like to think that it is. Context requires that we look at more than just the one verse. Sometimes it's enough to read the verse before and the verse after. Sometimes you have to read the whole chapter, and sometimes you have to read the entire book in order to understand how to answer those questions of who, what, when, where, and why. So if you look at Jeremiah 29, you don't have to look at the whole book. You can actually just look at the chapter itself, and even then, just the first 14 verses to understand the context in which this verse appears. And so we're going to talk about that. So if you haven't opened up to Jeremiah 29 yet, feel free to do so. Um, and I encourage you at some point today, um, as your homework, 
to read the full chapter um, later today or, or, or this week because you'll see it. So Jeremiah 29, uh, and I'm going to just kind of point out, we're not going to read the whole chapter, I'm just going to point out the different verses where it gives us the answers to all of our questions um, so that you can see that. So who? In Jeremiah 29.1, it tells us that it's the prophet Jeremiah and the Jerusalem exiles, the, sorry, the Jerusalem elders in exile. Okay? Later on in verse 4, it tells us that it's written on behalf of God. What? In 29 verse 4, it says that God has carried the people into exile in Babylon. It's fascinating. You look at verse 4, and God actually says, I am the one who carried you into exile in Babylon. This is, this is God's own nation, God's own family. And he's put them in exile for some purpose. When? 29.1, again, it says the time of King of Nebuchadnezzar, or the exilic period, when the Israelites are in exile, is when this is written. Um, where? Um, all throughout, um, but specifically in verse 1 um, and elsewhere, it's in Babylon, right? It's not in Arvada. <laughs> it's taking place in Babylon. Um, and why? This is where we get a lot more information than just verse 11. 29.4. Why? To let them know it was God's plan to be in exile. 29, 5-7. Why? To give instructions on how they are to live while they're in exile. 29, 7. Babylon's prosperity equals Israel's prosperity. They are to work for the good of Babylon, first and foremost. 8 and 9, to watch out for false prophets. And by the way, if you flip back a chapter, you'll see that these false prophets are proclaiming Israel's prosperity and not Babylon's prosperity. They're proclaiming that God is going to destroy Babylon, and God's saying, no, 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 that's not my plan. My plan is for you to help them. Uh, 29.10, it's going to take 70 years. And then 29.11, that this is for the good of the community and not an individual thing. And perhaps most importantly in 12 through 14, this time in exile won't last forever. That's the hope that comes. See, God's plan has never been for individuals. It's always been based on the community, right? It's like, it's like what we're doing now, this experiment with, with kind of circle church, this idea that we don't sit and listen to somebody teach at me personally, but we're all in this learning process, this worship process together. And that's the purpose of, of that, right? We, there's, a, there's a professor that I was fond of that used to say, um, Jesus may have come to save you individually, but Jesus is not your personal savior because Jesus came to save everyone. So Jeremiah 29, 11 is not about me personally. It's specifically more about that God has a plan for the community of Israel, and that plan is to be in exile in a foreign country and to serve that foreign country for up to 70 years. And it might be rough, and it's going to get messy, and they're not going to like it. But that's what God is telling them. But that doesn't really fit on a coffee mug, does it? So the W questions, who, what, when, where, why, can often be found in the text itself. You just have to look and see. Um, the second check, so that's context, that's number one. Second check that we have for determining what scripture um, has to say uh, originally is to look at the lenses or the biases that we bring to the text. For example, I was raised in a conservative Baptist church where dancing led to babies, 
Games with dice were from the devil, and if I didn't wear a tie to church, I was, and this actually happened, I was pulled aside by one of the elders and asked why I was backsliding in my faith, because I didn't wear a tie. That's the church that I was raised in. So when I came to the Bible, I had certain biases. One of those biases are that women were to be submissive and quiet. Another one of those biases was that the work of the Holy Spirit had already been done. In fact, you know, when we talked about gifts of the Spirit, like prophecy and tongues and, and dreams, those were probably actually from the devil to lead you astray. That's how we talked about it. And it wasn't until I went to seminary and I took a class about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit from a Pentecostal pastor, and I took a women in church history course from a feminist professor, that those biases began to fall away. So now, I just have a few new biases, right? I start to see more of a feminist perspective, and I start to see the work of the Holy Spirit so much more in Scripture and in the community because I've now been influenced by those people. So what are those biases? What are those lenses that we bring to Scripture? How have we been raised to see Scripture in a certain way that, that maybe helps, but it also maybe hurts? So again, I want you to turn to the people around you and see if you can identify if there's anything in your life where you've come from that, that kind of paints some kind of lens or some kind of bias that you are bringing to Scripture. Go ahead. Okay, so hopefully you've had some fun reminiscing about where you come from, what biases uh, you, you have. One of the fascinating things, um, and he's not here today, so I'll just mention CJ, 
um, is, is, is a part of this church, and he's probably listening to the podcast eventually. Um, and one of the things I love about CJ is he didn't grow up in the church at all. He just kind of started reading the Bible on his own without any kind of religious um, kind of pushing. And so when I talk to CJ, his, his perspective is fascinating to me because it's so far beyond what I can get over at this point in my life because I have so many experiences in different churches and in schools and with, with people that have, have shaped and colored how I see Scripture. And so I'm finding that the only way that I can overcome my bias or my, the lenses that I see is to meet with other people and hear their diverse thoughts. I may not always agree, but as I listen and I try to see it from their perspective, it's just interesting to me how much more alive and rich and fulfilled Scripture becomes. And I think that's because it was always meant to be dialogued about and talked about in community and challenged, right? And this is how um, the rabbinic system worked. This is how it would be. This is how things like pub chat and fireside chat work for us. We get to talk and hear about different perspectives of Scripture, um, and what that does is that reduces the biases that we come from or at least gets us more biases to, to filter through, either way. Brings the text more to life. One of the biases that I often hear um, comes from Romans 8 to 28. And the bias that we go into this, this verse often think, thinking about is that, that God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. That's the bias. That's what's been taught in the American church. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. So we read Romans 8, 28, and it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So if good things aren't happening in your life, then you must not love God enough. Right? I've heard people counsel others and say, You just need to pray more. You just need to be in the word more. Right? You just need to confess some unrepented sin in your life so that God can then shower blessings upon blessings to you. And that's not what this verse is saying. I mean, it kind of is, but, but blessings um, have a different meaning when we actually look at Scripture, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount specifically. And so instead, when you look through this verse at that lens, you miss the point, and you begin to think that it's up to you to gain God's favor in some way. And you begin to say, if something's not going right in my life, it's because I'm not serving God well enough. And that's not it at all. That's not even what this verse is referring to. Right? Context is important. Just looking at the verses surrounding it, um, we see that uh, Paul is referring to uh, our present sufferings as part of God's purpose. Right? Specifically, Christ's sufferings, but then kind of relating to us. This is, this is purpose. This is what God has for us um, so that the glory of God will be revealed. But be careful, because then another bias comes in. Whenever we talk about suffering and God's glory being revealed, that bias is one that says, your suffering is designed by God so that something great will come out of it, or so that you'll become a better person. And that's a dangerous bias, because that's not necessarily true. And it's dangerous for us to play God and put that on somebody else to say, God intends this suffering for you so that it can be good. Because we're not God. We don't know that. Right? Joseph, right? We quote this verse. I've heard people quote this verse, Genesis 50, 20. For, for what you intended for harm, God intended for good. Right? People quote this verse to say that, you know, this is how I know that suffering can be good for God. But the problem is, Joseph is beaten by his brothers, he's sold into slavery, he spends years in prison before finally he says this to his brothers as he forgives them 
during a famine, provides for his 12 brothers who become the nation of Israel and then continue on this religion that we're all a part of. Joseph can say that only because he is the actual victim here. He's the one that had all these bad things done to him. So he can say, I see the good that God has in it. But we can't place that on anybody else because there are some things in this world, some suffering that exists that no amount of good can come from it in order to make the victim grateful that it happened. The, lone, the, the loneliness, the abandonment, the rejection that people feel um, can't be overcome by all the goodness in the world. And only they can decide when and if that has happened and if they would be grateful for it. And that leads us to our last point, Scripture. So you have context, asking the W questions. You have the lenses, the biases that we come to Scripture, that we place into Scripture. And then you have Scripture itself. Scripture is the best interpreter of Scripture. Oftentimes, things that are said in Scripture can be interpreted from other places. Take, for instance, um, in Matthew 27, 46, God cries out, um, or God, Jesus, at about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabatini, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this verse is often used to, to say something like, you know, all, with all of our sins placed on Christ, the sin was so great and so intense that it wasn't even, God wasn't even able to bear looking. And so God, the Father, turns his face away, right? How great the Father's love for us is that hymn that's written, that's popularized, that um, interpretation of this passage, that, that when all the sin is laid on Christ, God turns his face away. But that's not the God we serve, the God that looks away in the moment of utter abandonment, a God that rejects somebody in that way. That's not the God we serve. But still, we, we've taken that and we've taken it to mean that. Sometimes we, we justify it by saying, well, well, perhaps it's just that Christ felt that way on the cross because the pain was so great and intense, that Christ felt that way. Um, but that's wrong too. Christ is actually quoting scripture. When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is quoting the first line of Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verse 1 says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so, so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. But then it continues. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. He has not hidden his face from him. God doesn't turn his face. God is watching the entire time. And then the psalm finishes with this. They will proclaim his, God's righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. When Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not lamenting the loneliness. He's not, he's not telling us some big theological concept that God can't bear to look on his sin. He is quoting Psalm 22, which declares that God, who sends Christ down, will have victory over death, and the sting of death will be no more, and our sins will be forgiven, and we will spend eternity with God. He is saying that the God who created the world will come down and not just look on your pain, but experience it with you. That's what Jesus means on the cross. 
And we get that simply from looking back at Scripture and allowing Scripture to interpret it um, itself. So three ways to study Scripture for what it originally said. Context, looking at the passages before and after and asking who, what, why, when, where. Lenses, the biases that we see Scripture through. And then lastly, Scripture itself. If we just read it, will often illuminate what the meaning was for it. So now for your assessment. I've invited a false prophet to come up. And he is going to share a skewed view, a very biased view of of a great passage. Um, And it is going to be your job to work together in using the three tools that I have given you today, context, lenses, biases, and scripture, to come up with a better interpretation. So please welcome our false prophet, Dan. Thank you, thank you, thank you. First off, it's not a skewed view. I think Randy's wrong, actually. I would just throw those notes away because uh, I don't think they're going to help you. The way that uh, I go to Scripture is like I took this story about the woman anointing Jesus and the di- disciples were upset, and I look at that story, and I, I just trust my heart with that passage and that story. And my heart said, you know, she had this most costly perfume, and she anointed Jesus with it, and I should have good things in my life that I dedicate to the Lord, that I shouldn't hold back from, from having a really nice house, a nice car, a nice job, because I can dedicate and use those for the Lord, and the Lord wants the best. That's what Jesus needs. He needs the best. And so that's what my heart told me. The disciples, they were like, they're always missing the point, and they're like, you could sell this and give the money to the poor. And Jesus is like, you always have the poor with you. I'm with Jesus, you know. We're not going to solve the issue of poverty. Yeah, if, if poor people come across our path, yeah, then we should do something for them. But on the whole, our real mission in life as Christians is to give Jesus our best and look for quality things to reflect worship to Jesus. So... I don't know what Randy's talking about because I think I could just trust my heart with that. I mean, it's, it's, I feel it deep, deeply. So I'm going to challenge you then this morning to mess with my interpretation of this passage. It's in, it's in the book of Matthew, chapter 26, starting in verse 6. And we're going to divide into three groups because I don't think you can do it. So... We're going to have a, uh, this group over here. You guys are going to do uh, context. So this whole side, these two, oy, these two rows here, you're going to look at 20 verses before and 20 verses after that story in Matthew 26. And you're going to try to dissuade me of my interpretation or you're going to try to point out What's wrong with my interpretation or, or change it? This group over here, these two groups here, you are going to deal with Scripture, interpret Scripture. So use your Bibles. I challenge you. Use your Bibles. Try to find some place in there, some reference to another Scripture passage that will help you understand that better than my heart understands it. And this group here, are you laughing? Uh-huh. <laughs> this, Good. This group over here, you're going to study really hard. You're going to talk together, um, and each of these groups, you're going to break up into groups of th- 
three, two, three, or four people, okay? So circle around with two, three, or four people. And this group's going to try to challenge my biases. Now, I know I don't have any biases in relationship to this. My heart is pure. So go ahead, go ahead and try and challenge my biases here. So you've got five minutes. Break up into groups. You challenge my biases. <laughs> Randy went long. You, you have two minutes. Hey, Ryan went long. You can't trust the announcement guy. Anyway, uh, you can tell we always get along really well. So ready? Go. Circle up. Ask each other. Look at your Bibles. See if you can find a way to... Come on, you guys. Where's your Bible? Ooh, I'm still on mic, and I'm talking to you. That's weird. Anyway. Help these kids right here, these guys. What? Matthew 26, verses 6 through, I think, like 13, 14, somewhere around there. It's a story of the woman in the house of Simon the leper. So you guys circle up and talk about biases. Don't talk to my wife. She has no help for you. <laughs> Besides, this is the evil me, not the real me anyway. <laughs> Not, I'm sure you're not finding stuff because it's not there. You know, my heart tells me the truth, and uh, you guys uh, just have to stay with that. I know you're not going to find it. Keep going. I'll give you like one more, maybe one more minute. I, I don't care about Ryan, what he says, you know. Because I can see you're talking nicely. I like that. That's good. I'm trying to figure stuff out.
All right, I think you have enough time, because uh, even if you had like hours, uh, you're not going to. I don't think Randy's stuff would be really helpful anyway. So, uh, so let's see, which, uh, this group is context, right? Who, who wants to challenge my interpretation by looking at the context around this story in Matthew? Really quick, what was your interpretation again? My interpretation is that God wants me to have really good things, and the better the, the quality, the better, so that I can dedicate them to him to worship him with them, just like the woman had all that very expensive perfume that she poured on Jesus. I'm going to use that as my... Okay, so who's got, a, who's got something that disagrees? Oh, yeah. Oh, well... Yeah, maybe. <laughs> anybody, anybody else? Tom. Oh, thank you, thank you. Oh, yeah. So, thanks, Tom. He's my friend. Right. So. Ah, so you're saying this is just talking about Jesus and not talking about my stuff, right. about how I can anoint Jesus with my beautiful things. You don't agree with that, Evelyn? No. Good, good. No, say that strongly. Go, no, no. <laughs> good. Very good. Anybody else got a context? Uh, yeah, Brian. What, but my heart, my heart's, anyway, okay, good, good job, context. Okay, now, scripture interprets scripture. What do you guys find that you can, uh, that gets in the way of my interpretation? <laughs> sure, that's part of the biases, but you can, you're close enough to that group. Oh, no, I can't. Really? <laughs> good one, good one. Um, yeah, maybe maybe some people could, but my heart is pure, so. Is it as pure as a rich young ruler's heart? Good, I'm not expecting these answers. This is good. <laughs> maybe, maybe not, maybe more, but. What else in scripture would put in doubt my interpretation? Uh, 
good point. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. I'll think about that. My heart doesn't like that part, though. Okay, Michelle. What are you saying about me, Michelle? But Oprah told me, just swallow your heart. And so, anyway, <laughs> my wife's going, oh, my gosh. Anyway, good. So I had no idea. When I just read that story, I had no idea that when Jesus says, the poor you will have with you always, that's actually referring to a scripture passage in the Old Testament. I'm way over my time, so I'm just going to keep going. Okay. Now, this group... You're supposed to challenge my biases. Your hand went up really quick. Maybe I'll, I'll think about that. Who else has some biases for me besides that list there? life and be happy and I know God wants that for me all right so uh, I'm not too good at playing this other side Randy's <laughs> uh, okay so good job do you guys in two or three minutes expose some real deficits in my interpretation of that passage um, now, we're not training you to just, like, take anybody's bad interpretation and go, well, guess what? Boom, 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 boom. What we're wanting to do is have a, a discussion with other believers and people in the world in love that includes all of these things, the context, our biases, and Scripture interpreting Scripture. And we want a church that does that with each other that spends time with each other searching the scriptures and willing to challenge each other in love, not in 
uh, I'm better than you or I know my Bible better. So uh, let's be a body of believers that takes this and makes good with interpreting the scriptures and living them out. Let's close in prayer.